885 at American University in Washington. Welcome to the Kojo Namdi Show, connecting your neighborhood with the world. It's Tech Tuesday. Maybe you're heading off this summer on a two-week ocean cruise or a high-altitude hiking adventure. The plan? Load up your camera bag with your DSLR, three lenses, and a tripod. Maybe laying on a beach is more your speed with your smartphone and selfie stick tucked into your tote bag to chronicle your stay on Instagram. Or maybe you're choosing a relaxing, no-fuss staycation this year, snapping photos of the family reunion in the backyard. Whatever your plans are, you'll almost certainly have some form of camera along for the ride. Today on Tech Tuesday, we've invited three professional photographers to share tips and hacks to make your digital photos pop. Joining me in studio is Melanie Otto. She's an instructor with the Washington Photo Safari. Melanie, good to see you again. Very good to see you, Kosha. Also in studio with us is Corey Hiltz. He is a professional photographer and instructor for Capital Photography Center. Corey, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. And joining us from studios at WABE in Atlanta is Sarah Gormley, professional photographer and a former intern of the Kojo Show. Sarah, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing, Kojo? Good to hear from you, even if I am not seeing you. Hopefully that will occur sometime in the near future. Hopefully. If you'd like to join the conversation, call us at 800-433-8850. What photo gear do you take on vacation besides your cell phone, 800-433-8850. Same question to all of you. I'll start with you, Melanie. What camera do you take when you travel for work or for pleasure? Oh, boy. Answering that, <laughs> so that's a huge question. It's a weighty question. It is a you, weighty yes. question. Now, the cell phone always goes along in a pocket. It's sort of like a great way to make notes visually if I don't find myself with uh, anything except that. Um, if I'm going on vacation, definitely DSLR or two several lenses, depending on where I think I'm headed, um, flash, things like that. Well, it depends also on your weight limit, doesn't it? It certainly does. And in that particular case, um, I'm likely to pack in a high-end point-and-shoot, like a Canon uh, G15 is what I'm working with now. It's the closest thing I think you can really get to a DSLR in a point-and-shoot versus one of the smaller um, <clears throat> APS sensor size. 30 or 40 pounds you sometimes carry on your back? <laughs> she took notes. Yeah, <laughs> at least I used to. If I'm hauling my medium format gear and uh, my digital, it's, yeah. How about your friend who went to Belize this year? Belize. Mm, maybe that's Belize. not you. It wasn't. My dad's been there. I wish I had been there. Okay, because there was someone who took to, went to Belize who took his photo vest. And oh, Yes, um, the friend. Uh, yes, uh, he was in. <laughs> he was I know this in stuff. the rainforest. You do. He was in the rainforest for um, something like ten months, and he came back, and his photo vest and uh, his cameras were the only things that survived the wet. Yeah, yeah. Because the the in Belize you get a lot of humidity and. 
Sort of like D.C. in August. Destroy a whole lot of stuff. What do you take with you, Corey? Uh, With my travel photography, I've recently switched to a smaller system using the Fuji X-T1, which is a part of the mirrorless lineup. So they're much more compact, easy to travel with, less weight to carry, less stuff to have to worry about with carry-on weight and size. And uh, I can fit stuff in a much smaller package. I was just recently in Ireland and earlier this year in Cuba, and they were so convenient to travel with such a smaller camera system, both with being able to get on the plane and just pack it up, but then also just walking around and being out on the street with a smaller camera that draws less attention and it's just easier to uh, move around with. Back up. You've been to Cuba this year? Yep, I was in Cuba at the end, <laughs> of, uh, end of February, second time there. Before the embassies opened <laughs> yep, in the two countries? Before that change. Uh, we'll have to figure out how you did that. Or you'll say, <laughs> if I tell you that, Kojo, I'll have to kill you. Sarah, <laughs> Sarah what about you? What do you carry? So um, so I'm primarily a destination wedding photographer. So if I'm traveling for work, I'm bringing a, you know the whole gambit of, of prime lenses. I'm a prime lens shooter. Um, so that would be you know, seven different lenses and, and two bodies usually. Um, but if I'm traveling just on my own, the cell phone is definitely uh, primarily what I'm using. Um, and then I favor my DSLR and the 50, a 50 millimeter um, Canon lenses, my absolute favorite. Sarah, what cell phone do you have, and what's your favorite photo feature on it? My cell phone is an iPhone 6, um, and I shoot in camera, just with the you know the iPhone camera, and then I edit with the Visco app, which is, um, Visco is a company that, that makes film filters, both for high-res, you know, professional images, but also they have this wonderful cell phone app um, called Visco Cam that has all these film filters, these presets that emulate real film. Um, so they have like cross-processed, analog, black and white, um, and you can really get very specific. And, and then they have this fantastic toolkit where you can straighten the lines in images, you can sharpen, you can add grain, you can, uh, you can do all kinds of stuff. So, so it's actually really handy to have that and, and to then you know, go back and, and use the, the larger film filters for, for the larger images as well. How about you, Corey? Cell phone? Yep, I've got an iPhone 6 as well. And one of the things I love about being able to have that with me is maybe I'll take a picture to use that instead of my regular Fuji camera. But I also like it if I want to be able to know where I took the picture because if I take the shot, it's got the embedded GPS info. So if I'm wandering around the countryside in Ireland, I don't know what abbey I'm at or where I am take a picture with that, and later on I can use that embedded GPS information to easily just uh, review the exact location where I shot the picture. How about you, Melanie? I'm the Android user of the group, Um, although I also work with an iPad mini, um, depending on what the situation calls for, if I can sneak that in without sneaking it in somewhere. Um, It's in my bag that I mentioned that. as far as the, uh, what do I use most? Well, the in-camera one, probably the neatest thing on the particular um, Motorola camera that I, or see, I do it there, uh, phone that I've got is that you can give it a double shake. So if you don't have, uh, you've got your hands full, you're carrying something on the other side, you can turn it on and just reach a thumb to hit it. Um, as far as the uh, iPad goes, um, the uh, 645 Pro is a fantastic app. And I think it had just come out when I last spoke with you, mm-hmm. not quite two years ago. It's, it's Speaking of... Um, setting up filters. It also looks a lot like you're dealing with like Fuji Velvia film or particular kinds of uh, Kodak black and whites. It's it's a neat app. In case you're joined, just joining us, it's a Tech Tuesday devoted to photography, taking great photos on your vacation on 
or on your staycation. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call at 800-433-8850. What tips do you have for great cell phone photos? What's the best digital vacation photo you have ever taken? You can also send us email to kojo at wamu.org. Shoot us a tweet. Our handle is at Kojo Show. You can use the hashtag Tech Tuesday, or you can simply go to our website, kojoshow.org, ask a question or make a comment there. What advice do you have for choosing a phone if taking good pictures with it is important to you? I'll start with you, Melanie. What? Oh. Um, if it's important, I think you really need to look at not what the uh, staff at a place will tell you, um, unless one of them is a photographer. You know, when you're looking at something that's a higher res, it's at this point on a cell phone, it is important because the sensor is so much smaller than uh, a DSLR or something in that realm. Um, uh, the other thing that you could do is not rely on the phone so much as the auxiliary lenses. You and I spoke about something, and I, I wanted to call you back, and I didn't remember to do it. Last time, Sony had just come out with an external that links to your cell phone via mm-hmm. Bluetooth that you can either attach to the front, and it's a heck of a zoom, um, and use it that way or have it separate so that you can use basically your cell phone as a, you know just a screen mm-hmm. and hold it or put it on something and control the zooming. And that, that's wonderful because you've got good glass. Now you tell me. (laughs) Corey, what advice do you have for choosing a phone if taking good pictures is what's important to you? If that's most critical, you might want to look at something more specialized. The more common ones like the iPhones and such, they have good cameras, but they're not perhaps pushing the capabilities of the photography forward as much as some, um, some models that are more specialized. So there are ones that have higher megapixel counts or are pushing larger physical size sensors in the cell phones, and that larger physical size sensor can lead to better quality images because just having the tiniest sensor but packing more pixels into it is not going to necessarily result in the best image quality. I just saw a review pop up on the website dpreview.com today that was talking about a new or do, uh, giving some information on a new cell phone that come out with a larger sensor in it, so you can look for those kind of capabilities for some best image quality with the cell phone pictures. You can also go to our website, kojoshow.org, click on blog and see how our producers have been doing with their cell phones. Sarah, what advice do you have for choosing a phone? I think, uh, well, the other speakers have covered a lot of the tech really well there. Um, I think I'm probably more of the philosophy that the best camera that you have is is the best camera for you. Um, so, you know, my iPhone is is certainly not the top, but um, but if you just get out there and you keep taking pictures and you keep exploring and you explore your style and you explore some of the apps that are available for both iPhone and Android, um, then you know you'll, you'll develop something. Melanie, uh, just one more thought. Um, since with a cell phone, you don't have the functional dynamic range you do with, a again, more of like a DSLR. So, in other words, from the brightest brights to the darkest darks, you have detail. That's the dynamic range. Um, on the cell phone, some of the apps give you something. It's an option for high dynamic range. It's HDR. Mm-hmm. And what it's going to try to do is lighten the two shadowed spots and dim down the bright things to try to give try to simulate a better picture if it can't resolve detail from the very bright to the very dark. So that's kind of a workaround, but uh, see if you can get an app, if not a phone, that's got that in it. Corey, what do you see as the limitation uh, of cell phone for photography? 
I'd say the biggest uh, drawback is what you can do with the picture afterwards if you're especially trying to bring it into the physical world. Uh, everything looks great on the size of the screen on your cell phone or the back of your camera or even just uploading something to social media, but you want to make a nice print for your wall, uh, especially a good size one, then you start seeing that your cell phone didn't really have as much information as you thought there. Uh, so that would be the main restriction in terms of doing physical prints. Um, Sarah, your generation doesn't do much printing, does it? No, no, not at all. I was kind of smiling about that. Um, so within my business, I, uh, I'm a wedding photographer, and um, prints are, aren't included in, in the package. That's pretty standard in the industry now because, yeah, my generation is not doing a whole lot of printing. Um, albums are becoming less and less common. Uh, it's very easy to share with an online gallery, with all of your family and friends. Um, it's very easy to put together a slideshow that you can see online that you can view on any of your your technical devices. Um, so yeah, printing is, is not nearly as common. Melanie, you say you use your cell phone as a kind of note-taking device. You put it in your pocket, your bag. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not um, out where I have my uh, bigger gear, um, then I have a way to get a, hopefully a really good shot. Um, and if I can't, of course, it's great to record time of day, the kind of look so that I can come back with the better gear. Um, of course, you can always make yourself notes. On to the telephones. Here is Laura in Rockville, Maryland. Laura, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. Um, I had a question about, I, I guess it sounds similar to the auxiliary lenses or was uh, is an auxiliary, auxiliary lens. Um, and I was wondering if I, I've seen some fairly inexpensive little attachments that you can get on, on various websites and such. And I wondered what you thought about those. Do they help? Are they just a waste of money? Um, is, is there something that is easily usable for, say, an iPhone or, or some other type of smartphone? Melanie? I have a couple. Um, they're helpful and they're inexpensive, and you can, you know, if you're really looking for a fisheye view, watch your horizons. Always, people, watch your horizons, no matter what you've got. Um, that can be fun, uh, and it is you know, if, if it's probably a optically corrected acrylic, uh, not glass. But at any rate, you can put one on that uh, allows you to do a little bit more telephoto without a crop, because cropping, of course, is going to lower uh, the quality of your image ultimately. You may as well just zoom in, so to speak, afterward by cropping. Um, so, yeah, they're not expensive. They're fun to play with. It's a question more of, like, getting them to attach to the cell phone. That's usually the bigger problem. Laura, I've also thanks. played around with the, uh, the tilt ahead, shift. The tilt shift lens that you can add on is a lot of fun. It gives you that that look kind of like you're up in an airplane, um, and everybody looks really tiny, and that's it's a it's a fun one to play with as well. Laura, thank you very much for your call. We got an email from Jay who says, "With photo taking and sharing so easy now, I still see people make the same mistakes over and over. One of the biggest mistakes is putting heads in the middle of the frame. Don't do it. It's too much wasted space in the frame and terrible composition." you agree with that, Corey? That can definitely be the case. Um, I do like to think that it all depends on the situation. We don't want to talk too hardly about you know rules and it has to be this way or that way, but kind of realizing what could be better in certain situations. But definitely, say, a head or part of someone's body having that in the, the lower part and then having some other interesting part of the scene or landscape in the background showing where the person was if you're trying to give that sense of place type of picture so it's not just about the person but showing the environment in which the picture was taken. Glad you mentioned background because that's what George in Annapolis, Maryland wants to talk about or ask about. George, your turn. Hi. How you doing, Kojo? I love the show and love the topic today. Thanks. All right, I'm, I, I'm an avid uh, 
amateur photographer. I'm the self-proclaimed family photographer. I've gotten pretty good at uh, portraits. I've gotten pretty good at landscapes. But when I want to take my family with a nice background, I, I need some tips on putting the two together so it's framed nicely. Are there any hints of you know, putting the two together where I can get my family and get the background and all look beautiful in the photo? How about you, Sarah? <laughs> I think uh, for that, you're going to have to pay attention to your aperture. Um, I, I tend to shoot quite open and like the aperture really low for those like family photos, like you were saying, so that they really pop from the, the background. But I get that once you have something really beautiful behind them, you want to have that you know in the frame as well. So shooting around like F8, something like that, is, is usually what I do when I want a couple or, or you know the subject to be nice and sharp and interesting, um, but the background to still be really Melanin. visible. There's an old saying, uh, which is F8 and be there, because um, you can have the best gear, but you still need to be at the spot. Uh, what I would suggest mostly paying attention to, in addition to what she's mentioning, um, is really look at your light. You know, don't put people so they're in a, a backlit situation and try to balance, in spite of what I was saying about the HDR correction on your cell phone, try really hard to keep the lighting on your family the same as the background that you want to record. Corey. I'd also say that a key thing with uh, ranging your subject in the background is thinking about perspective and how you have the ability to move around that maybe you want to get up a little bit higher or bend down a little bit lower, move left or move right. You know, the background is static. You can't go move that mountain or that uh, nice building in the background around, but by you physically moving around, you can rearrange to some degree where that is in relation to your friends or your family in the foreground. George, you good? Yes, thank you guys very much for the advice. Then we can take a short break. We're going to come back and continue this kind of conversation on taking great photos on your vacation. You can call us at 800-433-8850. It is Tech Tuesday, so you can shoot us a tweet at Kojo Show using the hashtag Tech Tuesday, or you can go to our website, see how our producers' photography efforts went when they were on vacation. Just go to kojoshow.org and click on blog. But... Easiest way to get through, 800-433-8850. I'm Kojona. Welcome back. It's Tech Tuesday. We're talking photography with Corey Hiltz. He's a professional photographer and instructor for Capital Photography Center. Melanie Otto is also a professional photographer. She's an instructor with the Washington Photo Safari. They both join us in our Washington studio. Joining us from studios in Atlanta, Georgia, is Sarah Gormley. She is a professional photographer herself. And we're inviting your calls at 800-433-8850. Melanie, explain why zooming in on a cell phone camera is actually just cropping. What it's doing is uh, it, the app is literally uh, cropping in tighter and enlarging it from whatever it is that you see. So usually a bit, unless you're going to take a shot as a reminder of how you want to crop something afterward and then pull back, um, that's probably your best bet. Okay, here now is an email we got from Kit. Please talk about lens filters. I want to use color filters but can't find them. Processing digitally is not the same as using filters on the camera. I have a basic Canon Rebel. Um, so Corey. I would say that. Oh, Sarah, that, you first. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I would say that looking into Visco would be a really great option. Um, they have really wonderful Canon, uh, you know, options for Canon cameras that that emulate emulate very specific film types, uh, Kodak Portra, all kinds of things. Um, it's a good place to start. If you want to, if you're working with a digital camera and you want to um, have the ease of, of digital photography, but that that film look. 
I happen to know that Visco is um, Sarah's favorite app. What's yours, Melanie? um, For cell phones. I know you like Snapseed. I do. I do like Snapseed. (laughs) I still use that. Photoshop Express, they finally uh, upped their game um, probably within the last half year. So sometimes work with that. It, it, It varies, you know. How about you, Corey? Uh, well, M- Melanie stole my answer of Snapseed. Uh, <laughs> that's a really great one. It's got a lot of good controls to uh, get a variety of effects. Another one to look at is Camera Plus, which has the ability to do uh, manual camera controls uh, to give you greater control over the functions of the camera. If you know enough about your camera settings, even on your cell phone, and you want to uh, discreetly control the ISO, the shutter speed, things like that, you're able to do that as well as do adjustments to pictures you've taken. Oh, one more thought quick um you might want to look into your palette settings so that if you were um working with uh, like landscape let's say uh what that's going to do when you go in there and, and set it up on your canon camera for landscape it's going to bump the saturation for the blue sky and green trees so it's a little bit like having uh some additional outside filters just by choice of of the color palette that'll help a little on to michael in arlington virginia michael your turn Hey, Kojo, I love the show. First time caller. Thank you. Um, I wanted to see if your um, if your guest could offer any insight into uh, beach photography, specifically in taking a DSLR to the beach. Um, I'm going to Rehoboth Beach this coming weekend, and I'm worried about getting sand in all of my components. You plan on burying <laughs> yourself, right? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and also the um, the humid, salty air. I'm concerned about that having any kind of effect on the internal components of my camera. I have two answers on this. Go ahead, Melanie. Thank you. Um, First off, sir, I would highly recommend you uh, invest in a very inexpensive (laughs) cover for your camera. Go get yourself a Ziploc bag, a pair of scissors, and a rubber band. Um, And you're going to make that bag big enough to go around uh, whatever the longest lens is that you're taking. Um, You'll then uh, be able to tuck your hand in there, and then uh, you've cut the edge, the end off of one of the corners of the bag, and you can gently rubber band that around your lens, and that will keep all sorts of nasties uh, away from the gear. The other big concern for us when we're out in all that light, boy, I tell you, you can't see what the heck that screen's got. Uh, did, did you frame it right? You're like, I hope so. Um, grab a, uh, if you're not going to wear a black shirt, because of course that absorbs heat more, you probably don't want to get hotter. I would highly recommend getting a bandana, maybe a, a deep navy blue or something, and tuck it in the front of your shirt so that when you're looking at it, you do not become a reflector from whatever bathing suit or, or shirt you have on and kick light back onto that screen so you can't see it well. This will help absorb some of that. Corey. The issue with the salt air and the water potentially getting on it, not that you're going to dunk your camera in, but just uh, just the moisture in the air and just the, the salty air is not a good thing. Not that that has to be, you can't have your camera out in those conditions, but what I would do after you've had your camera, your gear out at the at the beach for the day, then once you get back to your hotel room, is grab a washcloth, get it wet, wring it out so it's just damp, and just wipe down the outside of all your lenses, your cameras, if you had a tripod out there, and that just gets rid of any residue from the salt air. And Sarah says you won't be able to avoid salt getting into <laughs> something, right, Sarah? Or sand. Sand so, is. You know, I mean, sand is what I was thinking of, yes. <laughs> but um, I guess my advice would just be you know, obviously you're going to want to go down to the beach, you know, not just during specific times. But if you're planning on making it a bit of a photo session, if you're planning on bringing your family down or something like that, focus on the golden hour. Um, focus on the hour after sunset, or sorry, after sunrise or before sunset. Um, and that's when you'll get more, much more even light that's going to reflect off of the water 
in a way that doesn't just totally you know overexpose the water um, well Michael thank you very much for your call and good luck to you we got an email from Angela who says one of your guests recommended the HDR feature on the iPhone why does the phone take two images when you turn on that feature with that feature, with the HDR feature, the idea is that the camera is taking two exposures, a lighter one and a darker one. The lighter exposure is so the darkest parts of the pictures, the shadow areas, look the best. The darker one is so the highlights, the brightest parts of the pictures, look the best. Um, so then it combines that information into the final image, which gives you better image quality in both the darkest and the lightest parts of your picture to c create your combined final photograph. On to Matt in Washington, D.C. Matt, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, I've got an Olympus OMD, which is a four-thirds format, and um, I've been advised by professional friends to shoot in RAW um, and then to edit later. So two questions. Uh, is that a good idea? Three, actually. Is that a good idea? <laughs> two, if it is, uh, what's the best way to learn uh, the editing skills? And finally, how do you get your final image down to a size where you can uh, email it to people without um, blowing up there? <laughs> so RAW is a really amazing format. Um, RAW allows you to save all of your your um, your color balances. It's a it is a massive file, um, which makes editing, which makes applying those filters um, a lot a lot easier. Um, but it is a lot bigger, so you do have to pay attention to your, your file size, your pixel size, and take it down. Um, you can also only view a raw photo in certain programs. Um, Creative, the Creative Suite, Adobe Creative Suite, Photoshop, Lightroom, um, they have wonderful camera raw functions that you can edit within, um, but it is a little tricky. Maybe the other speakers have some knowledge of other programs, but I think it is a little bit tricky to, to work with a raw file outside of those programs. Corey? Thank you. Wait a second. Corey has an answer. Also, with uh, I'd say the difference between your RAW or your other option is shooting in JPEG, which is perhaps what you've been doing up to this point. And the way I look at it is how much time do you want to spend working on your pictures? Um, with a RAW file, nothing has been done to the picture by the camera. It's no adjustments. So if you bring up a RAW file in a, on your computer and you're looking to work on it, it's actually going to look worse in comparison to, say, a JPEG, because with a JPEG, your camera has applied adjustments to it already. So if you really want to dig in and get the most out of your picture, then the raw format can be the best way to go because you have all that larger amount of information to work with. But if you're not looking to spend a lot of time on the computer, you really want to just get to the pictures and then uh, send them out into the world, then maybe a JPEG would be a better format for you. Uh, to touch on the question about how to get them ready for email, if you're using a program like Lightroom, which is great all-around photo processing organizing program, it has the ability to export your photos. So you can choose the size from which you want to export them. So you can choose a size that's appropriate for email, and then you still have your best quality original file, and then you spit out a copy, and that's what you can email on to your friends and family. Matt, thank you very much for your call. You too can thank join you. the conversation by calling 800-433-8850, by going to our website, kojoshow.org, or by sending email to kojo at wamu.org. What's the hardest part for you of capturing memorable photos on vacation, 800-433-8850. Melanie, what tips or what hacks can you share that do not involve apps? Okay, well, the uh, the dark cloth one that I just mm -hmm. mentioned is, is a really good thing. And then you've got like a bandana if you're sweating. And, <laughs> um, uh, one of my favorite hacks is, um, do you have a pair of uh, polarized sunglasses? Yes. Okay. There's a basically a filter. 
so that if you're out there with your cell phone and you're looking and you're saying, wow, these clouds look great, this view looks great, yeah. and then you take them off and you go, eh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you sneak the lens part of your any small camera, small enough, generally speaking, your cell phone, you sneak it behind the lens of your sunglasses, and now you have a polarized view. Um, that is so cool. I never actually <laughs> thought of that at all. So that one's, a, that one's helpful. Um, Anything you can share, Corey? Um, that idea of the, just to build on the polarizing option there, is of, I found with digital photography, I'm using less filters, adding less things onto the front of my lenses. But the one filter I always keep with me is that polarizer. Uh, so whether you're doing a trick to work with your cell phone or you've got your standalone camera you're using it with, does a great job for making your blue your blue skies look better as well as a lesser thought of application with the polarizer is it can get rid of uh, glare and reflection so if you got shiny foliage wet rocks can knock that off and make the colors really pop what do you have sarah um, well, I spoke a little bit before about the, the tilt-shift lens, and mm-hmm. uh, this is just one kind of small thing, but um, you can actually kind of create your own tilt-shift just by taking the lens off of your body um, and allowing for a little bit of, of light and space to come in, um, just taking it and moving it maybe just an inch, a little less than an inch away from, you know, your, your lens away from your camera body, um, and you'll actually get the same, they, they call it a poor man's tilt-shift, um, and you can get the same effect for, for way, way cheaper. On now to Jim in Newton, Massachusetts. Jim, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, I have a question about ISO ISO settings on DSLRs. Mm-hmm. I was wondering what you uh, gain or lose from using a lower high setting, and does it does it make much difference? And also, what what would you leave it set at routinely when you're just walking around with your camera? Well, then. Uh, I'm an ISO snob, self-labeled. <laughs> um, I try to keep that ISO as low as possible all the time. So when I'm walking around, it's usually a 100. Um, if I reach a point where, you know, I can't handhold it, if this is assuming I don't have a tripod, of course, um, then I will bump that up a little bit at a time. Once you, It depends on the model of the camera, and it depends on how old that camera is. Um, the most recent ones have way less trouble with a higher ISO. Um, which will, of course, allow you to have a faster shutter speed. You won't have, you know, the blur of heartbeat shake and things like that. Um, but generally speaking, I f- still feel that the color accuracy and the lack of noise, used to be called grain, um, is simply better the lower you can keep that. Okay, thank you very much for your call, Jim, and good luck to you. Instagram is the new Twitter for photos, but Instagram photos are square. How do you deal with that if you take a picture outside the app, one that starts out rectangular? Sarah? So there is a there's an app called Afterlight. Um, I imagine there are probably a few more out there that, that do a similar function, but Afterlight will uh, help you to to put a white border around your image. So the image itself is still a square. It'll still fit into the Instagram format, uh, but you get to retain your composition, which us photographers care a whole lot about. Um, so a lot of people will do will do this white border on their Instagram photos in order to to keep the composition. Corey. Another thing to think about if you're just going to go ahead with the square format is basically plan ahead. Know that you're going to be doing that. Plan that with your composition. Know that you're going to, if it's a horizontal, you're going to lose something off the sides. If it's a vertical, you're going to lose something off the top or bottom. And basically leave yourself some wasteable space, stuff that you can crop out and not lose an important part of your picture. 
I'm not going to ask you this question, Melanie. <laughs> okay, I won't answer it. Because you're not, you're not on Instagram. <laughs> Actually, I have an account, but I don't really you use do. it. I spy on things, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not me on Facebook. But you don't extensively use social media. I, I don't. I don't. I, to me, privacy and um, terms of service and who owns what, to me, is a big deal. Yeah, you want to keep your photos under your control. Sarah, how do you use Instagram, and what other social media sites do you use to post photos? Instagram is huge uh, for for what I do and for my industry. Um, uh, many many people who are you know colleagues of mine actually book clients off of their Instagram accounts at this point. Um, you know these people have tens of thousands of followers, and um, probably the most useful thing for for Instagram is the whole hashtag system. So you can add up to thirty hashtags to a photo, and and that way not only all of your followers, the people who have chosen to you know click on your profile and follow you, but people who are just searching that hashtag can can pull your photo up. Um, and it's a really cool thing. It really helps to 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 share your images and, and, and create some connections. I um I recently had a photo picked up just because I used the, the hashtag uh, make portraits and then a, a magazine called Portrait Collective picked it up and um and you know a lot of other people saw it and, and it was a really exciting thing. So work for Sarah. Um we got an email uh, no this was a comment posted on our Facebook page by Jordan who said I've always been a hobby photographer but I've stuck with traditional film until now I purchased an Olympus SH2 pocket size camera because I was always dissatisfied with the phone cameras I'm glad I did the versatility and the automatic settings are amazing good choice yes uh, the little pocket cameras can do a great job these days it's really amazing with the technology what can be packed into them you know, five ten years ago so you can get a lot out of it in terms of the abilities to control your settings even do some manual adjustments and you can even find a lot of zoom packed into those cameras so you can really hone in on a particular part of a scene or subject to get your shot and we got an email from fiona who writes for me photo photographs are about memory so my cell phone does a great job of that because it's quick and easy when we go on vacation or do anything exciting around here our GoPro is our trusty companion because of its versatility and durability. I see you nodding. I have I have one. I, it's kind of a recent acquisition, and it's lots of fun. It just you know you really have to keep in mind um, compositionally. Like I was saying about horizons, for one, <laughs> it really matters. Um, and you've got a really wide view, so uh, it's a good thing to think about the afterwards and how you're going to frame that image afterward. Got to take a short break. When we come back, if you've called, stay on the line. If you'd like to, it's 800-433-8850. Got questions or comments about photography? Where are you going on vacation this summer, and what questions do you have about taking photos there? Do you print your vacation pictures, post them on social media, or maybe both? Tell us about it. 800-433-8850, or shoot us a tweet at Kojo Show. Email to kojo at wamu.org. I'm Kojo Namdi. Welcome back to our conversation about photography with Sarah Gormley. She's a professional photographer. Corey Hiltz is a professional photographer and instructor for Capital Photography Center. Melanie Otto is a professional photographer and instructor with the Washington Photo Safari. Corey, what do you think about when you're composing a travel photo? What questions do you ask yourself before you shoot? 
One of the key things I look for when I'm traveling, whether it's in the U.S. or abroad, is thinking about composing a picture that tells a story. So it's not just a picture of one thing that here's a thing or here's a person, but including some of the scene around them, the environment, to give a sense of place so someone looking at the picture can know something about that person or what was happening in that moment when I took the picture or what drew me into that overall scene there. So it helps share the moment with people looking at your pictures later on. How about you, Melanie? The story has always been my big deal. Um, And I think that uh, somebody who's a photographer, they need to consider what do you want to remember the most about the vacation? Um, And how do you you get that out of the situation? And can you manipulate the the situation by not moving the mountain? Like Corey was saying earlier about moving you, your positioning. It's all good like that. How about you, Sarah? Uh, similar, yeah. The story has always been what's what's driven me. Um, something that is a bit more journalistic. Um, this may be a bit of a Debbie Downer comment, but I also always try to think about you know the the moral implications of, of photographing someone else and mm-hmm. in their environment and um, them not knowing exactly where that photo might end up. Or it, I feel like if I'm not able to to share the image with them or link it back to them or um, even sometimes know more about them in order to tell that story in an honest and accurate way, then, then sometimes I'll take a step back and, and just think about whether or not I should be taking the photo. That's an ethical question that photojournalists have to deal with, uh, you know, so people who travel to so-called exotic locations. Is it okay to take pictures of people in that location, local residents, without their permission? Melanie? you really got to watch it. Uh, back in the day, the <laughs> film, uh, we used to take Polaroid cameras with us and the film. And usually you could exchange a Polaroid for the permission to oh. uh, to take that if you're uh, dealing with some locals, especially if they don't speak your language or you don't speak theirs. Um, as far as uh, more locally, and Sarah's real smart about this uh, consideration, but don't forget to not photograph a military uh, member of the military without their cover on, their hats. Um, because if they're photographed without it, if they're caught without it, uh, they can run into all sorts of problems, demotion-wise, and, and you don't want to do that. These are things you need to be careful about. We got a post on our website from Leila in Germantown who said, what do your guests think about people who use the selfie stick? Is it useful or just silly? <laughs> My question is, why use a selfie stick rather than just asking a passerby to take your picture? Well, outside of the fact that there may be no passersby at that particular time, care to comment on this? Melanie, what is your selfie stick story? Uh, my selfie stick story is <laughs> what you can use it for when you're on vacation. Uh, you get some gaffer tape, and you gaffer tape on something like a fork, and you extend it over your campfire, <laughs> and you make s'mores. <laughs> <laughs> it's best use for it, sort of, you know, turning around and whacking into something or posing in a uh, national park in a dangerous way, I think, Corey. I hadn't thought about it, Corey. You use it to, what, beat off fans? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of those things that uh, has started with a, a good intent, but it's just kind of gotten out of control with uh, everybody wanting one and having one, and then just all the chaos that that can lead to with uh, unexpected situations. Don't want to poke anybody's eye out. What's your experience, Sarah, with selfie sticks? Uh, it can be a kind of comical photo to take at a wedding, uh, to take the photo of the, the people with the selfie stick taking their photo. Uh, that's That's the most interaction I've had with it. On to Rosemary in Washington, D.C. Rosemary, your turn. Yes, I was wondering where one can go to get an actual hard print of a photograph. Asman is closed and camera is closed. I'm in Washington, D.C. Where can I go to get a good print? Melanie. Uh, pilot imaging. 
they are in the Rockville area. I don't actually have the address at hand, um, but they care, and they can do a huge range of quality printing. I mean, different sizes, all different. Uh, you can talk to them about what you're looking for out of the shot, and they will help you create that final image. But Rosemary raises a fascinating question. How has the ubiquity of cell phones and the demise of photo stores, she mentioned, pen camera, affected the world of photography? I think it's taken a big bite out of people's lives. There's no enrichment locally from knowledgeable staff where you can go and ask them questions um, and get good guidance from people who actually use the equipment. I think I'll be speaking very much from my generation when I say that uh, there's still a huge community. Um, it is a different community. I do. I miss being able to walk. I used to live in Chinatown, and I miss so much being able to walk down to Penn Cameron and, and chat with people there. But um, there is a huge community online, um, and it is very accessible, and it's very open, and um, it's just kind of shifted as so many things have. Corey, you do a lot of nature photography. What advice do you have for composing a good nature shot while one is traveling? A couple things to think about depending on the kind of nature image you're shooting. If it's a close-up picture, like you want to isolate a you know, beautiful flower, then thinking about finding you know, a perspective where the background is not distracting, where all the attention is going to be just right on the subject, so nothing takes away the viewer's attention from paying attention to what you thought was the most interesting. And then on the other end of the scale, if you're doing a landscape picture, a great compositional approach is to use what's called a near-far composition technique, where you have something close to you in the foreground that's of interest, like uh, an interesting formation of rocks or a field of flowers, and then something that's interesting in the background, like a mountain or a beautiful sky. So you have depth to the picture by having something close and far away from you, both things that are going to be engaging to the viewer. On now to Lisa in Reston, Virginia. Lisa, your turn. Hi. I um, am an amateur photographer, but I've had some uh, exposure to the finer aspects of photography, but I've gotten into the world of just relying on easy, the easy button. And my husband gave me a, I have used a Minolta and a Canon camera in the past and um, my iPhone, but my husband gave me a Sony camera for Christmas because it was lightweight and um, it would still have the SLR type features that I like, but I'm finding it very complicated and I'm wondering if you know about this camera and if you have any guidance or you know where I could get some help with it. Some classes, instruction, that kind of thing, Melanie? I, yeah. teach, I teach something like that. In fact, I, I just did like. it this past uh, this past Sunday. Um, we offer a mirrorless camera uh, course where I help you get the real practical a uh, aspects of that camera down, that once you know them, familiar with them, where they are, how you actually use them, because they're, they're go out and do it classes, they're not classroom, um, then you have something that you can build on and expand your investigation of other features within the menuing of the camera. Thank you very much for your call, Lisa. On now to Ben, who in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, who has a question for the ages. Ben, your turn. Hey, yes, hi, guys. How are you guys doing? Um, I was just wondering, what do you guys think uh, about the future of digital photography, let's say 10 years from now, you know, uh, in terms of technology-wise? Where will it be? about 10 years. What do you guys think? Where is, where is this going, Melanie? 
Where's this going? Uh, you can't see me smirking. No place. <laughs> <laughs> um, ten years ago, when oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. It's a hard question to answer. I can't understand. But what do you guys think? Um, ten years ago, uh, the DSLRs, for instance, were um, like six megapixels. And I joke that, you know, in five years, they're going to be, you know, 26 megapixels and, you know, and, uh, well, yeah, kind of got there. Um, and then I proceeded to joke that you're going to say, go over there, camera, take this kind of picture, and then come back and tell me about it. And uh, that, that, you know, the tell me about it part we certainly have as far as uh, being able to see things on the screen afterward. Um, it's interesting that you ask this question because we're starting to see a resurgence of film cameras. I was about to ask about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. People are realizing uh, that they can get some really good results out of it. Um, you know that song, Don't Take My Kodachrome Away? Well, it's <laughs> gone. Um, but there are lots and lots of uh, films out there. And I, I think a good analogy would be if you like a particular, maybe a particular tea or a t particular uh, beer or wine, and you're drinking water with some flavoring added, that's kind of like digital. Um, if you really want a particular taste, then you can go and buy the tea or the, the beer or the wine and have that as a reliable go-to for that particular kind of taste. And I think that's what we're seeing partially on the film. And it makes people think because you can't take a million of them, you only got a roll of 36. What do you see in the future, Corey? Uh, some things that have come up a little bit that are interesting to see where they'll be going. One technology where uh, you can take a picture and then adjust the placement of the focus after the fact or choose your depth of field uh, if that becomes more common. Um, also the ability with cameras now becoming pretty common that they can all shoot video as well. As mm -hmm. the video gets better, you get 4K video now as that improves. Is Do we get to a point where you can just pull a still photo out of your video and have that be good enough and, and maybe not have to shoot as much still? So it would be a different approach, but it'd be interesting to see what the options become. What do you see in the future 10 years down the road, Sarah? Well, Corey, Corey stole mine about the uh, changing your, your aperture <laughs> later on. Um, I think if I had to guess, I would say that things will continue to move to, to that point where post-processing is just that there's so much that you can do within post-processing, um, which is, you know, as Melanie said, kind of a shame because then we'll kind of shoot however we might shoot and then and then fix it up a lot later in post. But um, uh, that would probably my, be my prediction. Ben, thank you for your call. Here now is Carmen in Sandy Spring, Maryland. Carmen, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. I would like to take photos on my Samsung 4 of my house to post on Zillow. Will they be technically okay to do that if I can get good photos, or are they going to come out, out of proportion? Or what general tips would you have for home photos posting on Zillow? And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank Who you. wants to sell that house? <laughs> I think um, you're going to want to, you're obviously going to want to get as wide of a shot as you can, which can be a little bit challenging um, if you have a, a fixed focal uh, length on your camera. Um, and then, and then light is always kind of tricky when you have windows and then darker spaces. Um, if you're able to pull one of those images into, like, to shoot as, as high as you can and pull one of those images into post-processing, um, you can dodge and burn there uh, and, and brighten up the, the more shaded areas. And that'll do, that's, you know, a really, really useful thing for room shots. Sarah, we got an email from Sandra in Washington. What's the best online sharing and organizing app? Shutterfly, Ophoto, Facebook? Hmm. Uh, I think I'd probably say Instagram. Uh, Instagram is just such a, a massive network at this point, although that they do, you know, take your photos down in, in size and quality quite a bit. Um, Flickr still has a, a really, really large following, I think. Um, the uh, 
bringing things back to Visco as I would. Um, Visco has uh, something called Visco Grid, which is a bit similar to Instagram, um, but it keeps the the quality of the the photos high. Um, so it, things photos are laid out really really beautifully, and you can link between um, you know with different you can link between different images, and um, and it's a really kind of modern and, and pretty format. This gives me the opportunity to ask you all to check out WAMU 885's Instagram account. You can find it at WAMU 88.5. Here now is Carlos in Washington, D.C. Carlos, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi. Um, I have a question. I'm not sure you're able to answer it, but I purchased years ago some uh, photographs from a well-known photographer and just want to see if you know anywhere where I can resell them. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, they've gone up in price a little bit, so I just want to, you know, Melanie Otto's been looking for her photos that you put. No. no. <laughs> That's $100,000 per infringement if Thank it you. goes without my uh, you release. Go. Yeah. Where, where, can, where can our caller, Carlos, sell photos that he's bought by some presumably famous photographer? Um, you could look at just online options. Um, uh, perhaps you could sell them through something as simple as eBay. Um, if you want to go something more direct, maybe even working through if, uh, if a gallery would resell things. Um, but I don't have any direct experience, but those might be some avenues to check out. You could go really casual with Craigslist. I guess it depends kind of the uh, target you're looking for and who you think is the likely buyer and where they're going to be found. Carlos, thank you for your call. We're almost out of time, but a caller... Wanted to know how do you handle data management? So many photos, Sarah. Um, I've finally gotten this down to a science, I think. Um, so, so because I deal with wedding wedding photos, I, it's very, very, very important that they're very well backed up. Um, I use a, a number of different hard drives that are sort of hidden around my house, um, and then I also have two very large, very expensive um, hard drives. I, I'm not going to remember the maker of them now. Um, and then I back everything up to the cloud. So I use something called Crash Plan, um, and that automatically backs up um, everything that I. That I put Afraid it's synced up to my heart. All the time we have. Sarah Gormley, she's a professional photographer and former Kojo Show intern. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Thank Corey so Hills is a good. professional photographer and instructor for Capital Photography Center. Corey, thank you. It's and Melanie Otto is an instructor with the Washington Photo Safari. Always a pleasure. Thank you all for listening. I'm Kojo Namdi. Thanks for listening to the Kojo Namdi Show. And if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, Thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.